fresh from the beach while playing a round of speed chess with death. It's the IGN Digigods. And now, please welcome two guys who prefer their seventh sign from their seventh seal, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, that's from, uh, well, well, let's, Corey, who sent that in? Corey? I don't know. I think Corey might have been eaten by a spider when we were saying that. Corey, are you there? That gem was mined up by Mario Mendez. Yeah, see, that was my reference to a uh, big-ass spider made by Mario's brother, uh, Mike Mendez. And uh, there is um, uh, there's a, a, la- a lavalantula coming up. Did you know that? I, uh, what? Lavalantula, big-ass spider sequel. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Look for it. Lavalantula, right? It's a great title. It's kind of like uh, Sharknado or something. Lava Lantula, I like that, uh, and it's going to be for it's a sci-fi thing. So uh, yeah, cool. Can't wait. Cannot wait. It's you know like Sharknado was a deal. It's Lava Lantula. Are you talking to yourself? No, I'm talking to you. What's what's Lava Lantula? What are you doing? It's a it's a tar- tarantula that comes out of a volcano or something, or it, it spits vi- it spits lava or you know it's it's a Lava Lantula. It's you are making that up. Whatever. Anyway, so uh, so we there's this podcast where they're supposed to talk about DVDs and Blu-rays, and it's a thing. What, what? are you doing? What are you doing? You're completely I'm distracted. waiting for you to stop. I'm checking my phone because you're talking about lava oh. lamp lampula or something. I don't yeah, know. Okay, all right. Can we talk fine. about Blu-rays, please. That's why we You know what? Uh, we we got a whole ton of uh, classic stuff that we have not gotten to, and uh, I have in my hands enough chit chat. No more chit chat. Oh, you know what? I was I was really enjoying our chit chat about Lava Angela. Uh, I need to talk about a Criterion. We're just going to yeah. get right into it today. We well, we have a we have a Vox box by the way. Not yet, not yet. We have a Vox box, but I want to get right into it because uh, this is a fantastic Criterion. Uh, John Ford did not make all gems, but he made a lot of gems, and most of them were with John Wayne, but not all of them were with John Wayne. And in 1946, he made one uh, without John Wayne that is absolutely first rate. Because this one has Henry Fonda. And I am, of course, talking about My Darling Clementine, which is a truly amazing film. This is John Ford's uh, interpretation of the, uh, the whole shootout at the OK Corral and all that stuff. And uh, Henry Fonda, of course, plays now that Mark has left the room. He plays Mark, Mark's uh, idol. And as we all know, Mark's hero of all time is uh, Mark. Oh, Mark, you're not here to answer the question. Well... See. Wait, I was getting some iced tea. See, there I'm you back. go. I'm back. I was getting iced tea. Sorry. You're no. getting iced tea. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite figure of all time in history? In history? In history. You love this dude. You love him and all of his. Did you want me to say Wyatt Earp? Yes. I don't know. If he's my favorite in history. He is. He is but I have heard a lot about Wyatt Earp. Well, Henry Fonda plays Wyatt Earp in My Darling Clementine. Well, you know, he was a lot older than uh, Wyatt Earp was a young man. Yeah. You know, part of Wyatt Earp's legend. The reason why he was such a legend is that even after all of this. He was like one of the only really popular, really well-known frontier sheriffs who never got shot. It, 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 well, anyway, I, the whole OK Corral thing has been done in so many movies. It, it's been done so many times in movies. And everybody, and thinks they're, everybody thinks they're doing the definitive ones. Yeah, but you know what? My darling Clementine, I've, I've, seen, I've seen the James Garner bit and shoot out at the OK Corral. And obviously, I've seen Tombstone. and I've seen, I've seen Wyatt Earp. And I, I've, seen the sto- I've, I've seen like every movie on this. I've even seen the Star Trek episode. 
Spectre yeah, of the Gun. Yeah, Spectre of the Gun, damn yep. right. Uh, which may, is probably closer to the truth than any of the others, because Chekhov really did get shot. He really did. He that really, really did. happened. Look, he plenty of people got shot in the fight, except for uh, Wyatt. But this is such a great film. It's just such a great film. It just feels right. Even if it's historically not right, it just feels right. And uh, it is, it just, it's beautifully made. It's, John, it, it, it's just John Ford doing his very, very best. And uh, Victor Mature is a great Doc Holliday. I mean, he's right up there with the best. And uh, tons of special features on this thing, including uh, the, a new video essay by a, uh, a Ford scholar named Tag Gallagher. A great audio commentary with uh, Joe McBride, who is uh, you don't you never knew Joe because he was he was well gone from Lafka when you joined. But uh, Joe was inter- we interviewed Joe in our documentary Schlock, and uh, Joe is just a, a scholar and a gentleman, and I, I I love him to death. He's wonderful, and the commentary is just classic Joe McBride, very low key, but loaded with all those facts that Joe carries around in his head, and it just, it just does a beautiful job. You know what's amazing about the gunfight? Huh? It's not just the gunfight, hmm. but the aftermath. Yes, exactly. Because the aftermath, yeah. two of Wyatt's brothers were murdered. Yeah. Right? And then after uh, the brothers are murdered, Wyatt goes on what is now called the Vendetta Ride, and he goes and tries to find the Clantons and the... Yeah. And uh, what... I forgot his name. Uh, yeah. Stillwell or something yeah. like that. Who committed the murders. Yeah. So you've got the gunfight. You've got the murder after the gunfight of Wyatt's brother... And then you've got Wyatt seeking revenge in the Vendetta ride. Yep. So it's a lot of great stuff going on, that whole little pocket of time. Well, there's, there's great stuff here. You get, you know, you get a radio adaptation from 1947 with uh, Henry Fonda. You get uh, some uh, NBC television reports from uh, 63 and 75 about Tombstone and Monument Valley. Uh, the uh, this in now you also get a comparison on here a restoration comparison which is great um, this is just wonderful and and the the thing that's important to remember is this is the um, uh, this is a 4K transfer, so it's just absolutely fantastic. It's beautiful. It is uh, an uncompressed mono f- soundtrack. It's just it, the whole thing is absolutely fantastic, and uh, it just doesn't get any better than than My Darling Clementine. It's one of the great westerns of all time, and uh, John Ford at his very best, Henry Fonda at his very very best. So, really really good stuff. And uh, then also an interesting little, uh, as far as classic movie tidbit that we have here, Bill Morrison Collected Works, uh, 1996 to 2013. Uh, Bill Morrison is an experimental filmmaker, and uh, you probably are not that familiar with him. Uh, Most people weren't until he made Decasia, which is this weird uh, experimental film work with, like, decaying film. And that kind of put him on the on the map. He is uh, certainly now one of considered one of the preeminent experimental filmmakers. He's one of the few that does not offend me. Uh, you get the uh, Blu-ray of Decasia here, and then four DVDs with the rest of his work, all the way going back into the '90s and uh, most of it in the 2000s. And I, I, you know, it doesn't offend me. It doesn't necessarily really thrill me, but I don't find him cloying and. Uh, uh, he doesn't have that thing that experimental filmmakers usually have where he's just completely consumed with his own self-importance and it just he's really just trying to do interesting work and and it's it's much of it is really diverting so other stuff here includes light is calling from 2004 which is a just a brief little 8 minute thing that's pretty interesting uh you get the half hour high water trilogy from 2006 
which is is pretty good. The Mesmerist, a sixteen minute film from two thousand and three, is pretty good. And uh, the uh, the Miner's Hymns, which is an hour long effort from uh, two thousand eleven, is also uh, quite good. So uh, some interesting stuff if you're into experimental film. Bill Morrison, Collected Works, nineteen ninety six two thousand and thirteen. Uh, from the good people at Icarus Films. Wait, from the good people at Kino. We always love Kino. Um, interesting film that I would recommend uh, renting if you're into a historical type uh, dealies. We have from the pre-code era, The Death Kiss. This is with uh, Bela Lugosi. He plays a... It's a bit of a comedy thriller type thing. Um, it's an interesting movie. It's uh, Bela Lugosi plays a... Um, he's a studio head. And one of the actors in one of his movies is killed while filming the very last scene of the movie, and the suspects are three women. So the screenwriter uh, decides to take it upon himself to find out who killed this actor, and uh, it's fun. It's a fun little movie. It's uh, it's a it, you know it's a mystery, and you it keeps you guessing until the very end. And Bela Lugosi and a couple of the actors in here had just come from Dracula, which was released, I believe, the previous year. So they all they all sort of reunited for this like low budget little lark called the Death Kiss, and um, it's great. And Kino, of course, completely respects the original elements. It's a thirty five millimeter restoration, and some of the scenes here were um, hand tinted, and the uh, Blu Ray contains those hand tinted scenes. Nice, and uh, it's good. It's a good little movie. It's an interesting little little slice of Hollywood history. So check out uh, if you're into especially pre-code stuff, check out The Death Kiss. I, I am really enjoying a lot more pre-code stuff. I really am. There's just there's just not enough of it out there. A lot of it you have to stream. A lot of it is... Uh, I remember going to... Um, there was a pre-code film festival at the, uh, the, um, at the Hammer yeah. in Westwood. Yeah. And you got to see like Clark Gable looking like he's 19 years old. A lot of these pre-code films. I know. It was really it's amazing. great. Cary Grant, I mean, looked like he was about 16. It was, it's, just, it's amazing when you see them. Uh, so here's, here's a movie... That just vanished from everybody's uh, radar for the longest time, and it's back, thank goodness, and it deserves to be back. And my question is, what has happened to Charles Lane? Do you remember Charles Lane and Sidewalk Stories? Do you remember this? Vaguely at this point. Sidewalk Stories, 1989, an amazing black and white silent film. Charles Lane was this, like, uh, he was this incredible guy. He was like the next generation of, of independent filmmaker at the time. And he was certainly, it was, you know, this was a time when you, again, the 80s, Spike Lee was kind of the definitive black independent filmmaker at the time. And Charles Lane was like this this antithetical figure. He came out and he made a, a film that was in no way even remotely connected to, it wasn't meant to be, a, you know, he wasn't like a racial filmmaker. He wasn't like Spike Lee. He wasn't tackling these kinds of things. He was, it was a much more universal and yet... Uh, kind of a nostalgic throwback to uh, silent films. I mean, he was an amazing figure. And I'm like, what happened to Charles Lane? So Sidewalk Stories, out finally on Blu-ray, and it is just a wonderful Chaplin-esque black and white silent film. Just beautiful, beautiful. And uh, I got to thinking, what has happened to Charles Lane? I want to know what happened to him. So uh, Charles Lane has not done anything since True Identity, which he made two years after Sidewalk Stories. He did a little episode of American Playhouse in 93. And for 20 years, he has done nothing. He apparently has two projects that are in development. But otherwise, he's done nothing for 20 years. That's ridiculous. This is like a guy who was supposed to be the future of American independent film. And for 20 years, he vanished. I don't know what happened. What happened was he, you know what, if if he had... 
It's just wonderful. Hit, if he had hit now, yeah. you wonder if he would have had an easier time. May, I, or maybe not. Or maybe not. Because anyway, again, you know, independent filmmaking I, is even it is, more... This is a beautiful Blu-ray, wonderful transfer, and it is my earnest hope that somebody gives Charles Lane a chance to make one of his movies again, because the guy is just wonderful. He's a true visionary. Uh, Wade, um, I wouldn't call Roger Corman a visionary, but in a way I would. Yeah. Because he's Roger Corman. And, you know, we all know Roger Corman from a low budget, uh, bunch of low-budget crap that he's either directed or produced, but he did direct a couple of decent films, uh, more than a couple, actually. And one of them is Bloody Mama from 1970. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bloody Mama is a terrific film that is finally out on Blu-ray, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Yeah. From uh, the good folks at uh, 20th. And... Um, what we have is it stars um, Shelley Winters as a Ma Barker. Yep. And again, this is 1970, so you have Shelley Winters as Ma Barker and her four sons. They decide to leave the Ozarks and go on a killing spree in Depression era, you know, during the Depression era. Mm-hmm. And again, 1970, so you got one of her sons is played by an actor you may have heard, you may have heard of, Robert De Niro. And also Bruce Dern shows up. Bruce Dern, of course, uh, nominated for an Oscar last year for uh, Nebraska. He plays this uh, plays this guy who kind of comes into the comes into the story and then leaves, but uh, still, it's a terrific film. Corman's got a lot of energy. It's all low budget, but it's just a lot of style. And Shelley Winters is great because when you don't have a budget, and uh, you know, what you need is like really flamboyant actors who just own their roles. And Shelley Winters is nothing if not an actress who always owned her roles, and uh, it's good. It's a good little movie. It's really it's a little it's a little piece of. Independent filmmaking history, um, Bloody Mama, and there's an interview with uh, Corman on the Blu-ray, and I recommend at least as a rental, uh, kind of like uh, the Lugosi film. If you're interested in kind of movie history and you know where these films, where where the films of today came from, the filmmakers who you love actually were influenced by filmmakers like Roger Corman, including James Cameron, who came out of the Corman factory. Uh, a million of these guys came out of the Corman factory. So if you want to see a film that Corman directed, which is pretty good, uh, you should check out Bloody Mama. So uh, we also have Once Upon a Time in America, extended director's cut. Long, long overdue. Uh, about time this showed up. The, I, I, I've got to say, I still don't feel like this is... I feel like there's a better transfer uh, of this film. They, 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 it's really good. Warner Brothers always does really good work. This is still really uh, top notch. However, I you know I saw the film projected. I saw the original 1984 butchered cut that Warner Brothers released when they you know slashed the thing down to whatever what from you know its original four hour running time like two and a half or whatever they they wound up releasing, and it just it made no sense. And it was all linear and it just it was horrible. It, it, you just felt like it was a greatest hits tour of these guys, and um, then eventually uh, I saw the four hour and eleven minute director's cut in a pristine print and it's spectacular and you realize there's just this amazing epic vision that's going on here and it just belongs right alongside you know Godfather 1 and 2 and every other great gangster epic and it's certainly one of Leone's best films Um, whatever that projection had this doesn't quite have but it, it um, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll, they'll. There's a special edition a couple of years away where they'll go back and they'll fix some of the things that are not quite right here. A lot of it, it's, it's mostly lighting stuff. It just feels a little bit too Blu-ray crisp. In other areas, feel a little Ooh, bit. That like, feels like they did some. Uh, they figured, oh, it's kind of old, and uh, maybe the maybe the print we're dealing with is not it, pristine. So let's this, go ahead and add some edge enhancements. Yeah, it, it, whatever. Let me put it this way: the the. Um, 
the the Blu-ray release of um, Heaven's Gate does everything right that I wish they would have done with this. So whoever did Heaven's Gate for Blu-ray, get those people to do that on this. That's what I would say. Or just turn this over to the Criterion people. But uh, Warner Brothers will never do that. Anyway, uh, just wonderful. It is you know one of the great classic all-time films, and uh, you, you, you know Leone's the man, and there you go. There you have it. Uh, let's see here. Um, why don't I go through some Olive releases? We've got new stuff from uh, Olive that uh, is, um, you know, it's an interesting collection of stuff. I, nothing here that I think is really uh, earth-shattering, but some good old classic films with stars that, uh, you know, might be worth rediscovering if you love these stars. Gary Cooper and Distant Drums. Um, a, you know, again, not this is an aging Gary Cooper and uh, not exactly his his greatest moment, but it's a western that takes place in the Everglades and it's uh, it, it's got its moments uh, from 1951. Uh, looks pretty good on Blu-ray. Colors are nice and crisp. Uh, we have Ginger Rogers and David Niven along with the ever ever old Burgess Meredith in Magnificent Doll from 1946. Uh, this is the um, you know, it's it's the Kitty Kelly mode for uh, for Ginger Rogers. She's uh, she kind of does this in a few films, and uh, it's I think it politically and in terms of most of its other uh, other issues, it doesn't date terribly well. The this is basically set during the uh, early uh, history of America, and it's about a woman who um, was let's say was caught between Aaron Burr and Ta- and James Madison and Thomas Jefferson and. She's sort of the, you know, she's in the mix. And I'll let you see the movie and kind of put all the, put all the pieces together. Uh, it's worth watching. Uh, again, not, not a, a masterpiece by any, any stretch. Don Amici and Catherine McLeod, who's been completely forgotten by, by history, and Frank Borzaghi's uh, That's My Man. Uh, good, this is a good, solid little uh, classic film from uh, 1947. Um, well-written, very well-acted, uh, but for whatever reason, I don't really know why uh, Catherine McLeod just sort of vanished from everybody's radar. I mean, this got uh, a lot of attention at the time, got some Oscar nominations, and their, their chemistry is wonderful. Uh, Don Amici basically plays this, uh, this bookkeeper with, a, with aspirations to be a racehorse maven. And uh, as far as movies with a racing theme, I mean, it's certainly one of the, one of the better ones. So I don't know why it doesn't... Uh, kind of vanished. And then Catherine McLeod also shows up in I've Always Loved You with Philip Dorn and William Carter. Uh, this is even more forgotten than the last one. Uh, this is from 1946, also directed by Frank Borzaghi. And it's uh, about a... It's, Philip Dorn plays this, uh, this really, really uh, famous uh, conductor. And uh, uh, Catherine McLeod is the woman that he just cannot let go of. He's just obsessed with her. And um, the... I don't know if Naming him Leopold was a was meant to reference Leopold Stokowski, but there certainly seems to be a, a little wink and nudge because Stokowski was kind of this you know amazingly powerful maestro figure. Anyway, uh, and uh, Arthur Rubinstein plays the uh, the musical pieces in this, and Arthur Rubinstein, one of the great piano. Uh, virtuosos of all time so uh, the you definitely want to get this for the music I would say just for the music alone you want to check it out and then a little bit more on the camp side is the very enjoyable High School Confidential uh, which stars uh, Russ Tamblin of West Side Story fame father of Amber Tamblin 
And uh, this is, you know, Russ Tamlin, apart from uh, West Side Story, made a lot of really cheesy stuff. And this is one of them, but this is not bad cheesy. This is just delightful cheesy. Uh, the, the, the whole juvenile delinquent thing from, uh, from the 1950s is just so much fun. And Russ Tamlin is such a campy guy. I don't know if he intended to. Uh, Jackie Coogan shows up in this as a drug kingpin. The whole thing is just really, really fun. And uh, you even get some Jerry Lee Lewis music in this. So I would say um, knock yourselves out. It's uh, a lot of fun. High School Confidential, one of the better juvenile delinquent movies of the 1950s. Well, you know, I like um, Reefer Madness. You, you know what? It, good, good double feature. Reefer Madness should be on the, uh, the, the shorts bill ahead of, <laughs> ahead of this. Well, you can do that or you can have a triple feature yes. of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, oh, yeah. Cinderella, yes. and now Yay. Diamond Edition, finally, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty from 1959. Um, this obviously is uh, it's a classic, Sleeping Beauty. It's a beautiful film. Uh, it was shot in 70. Mm-hmm. So it's, wide, it's, it's a widescreen film. It's a beautiful film. The Tchaikovsky score is, of course, unforgettable. And uh, it's just great. I mean, it took, it took them, this, of course, is while Walt Disney was alive, and he had, a lot of, he had a lot of input into it. You know, this movie came out in 59. It was, it was pretty much, it took almost 10 years to make. Because, again, everything was hand-drawn. In fact, um, this film was, I believe, the last, not the second to last, but I think the last Disney film where even the cells were drawn by hand because normally what they would do is they would yeah. draw the they would draw things on paper and then they would transfer the and then they'd be redrawn on yeah. on uh, on cells on the, like the plastic yeah. I don't know what they call whatever cells yeah after Sleeping Beauty that was all done in another process that was less labor intensive yeah but Sleeping Beauty was the last one where not only were the, were, were, were the uh, each was each frame drawn on paper as a reference. But they were also drawn on the hand cells. Do you think that the 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 reason this is being released now has anything to do with Angelina Jolie in uh, basically playing? You know, the thing is that if do you think that's a coincidence that they're that well, I'm, you know, you know, what I'm going to say it's not a coincidence because if it was, if they were really being mercenary about it, they would have yeah. done it a few months ago. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. now it's like you kind of look at, oh, yeah, that was, oh yeah, that's okay. right. She's the no. one with Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure about that. But I will say that it looks beautiful. It's got a lot of great extras. Three, It's got, like, all these deleted scenes, three deleted scenes, which is great. Um, you know, I just think this thing is a total must-buy, especially if you have kids. So I would go ahead and check out the Diamond Editions of, uh, of all three, you know, um, Snow White and Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty. They're just absolute all-time classics. Sweet. All right, we got some uh, some manufacture on demand titles uh, to talk about. Most of them are Warner Archive. We got one from 20th Century Fox, and and this one I really uh, is a pleasant surprise. Uh, a lot of the Fox stuff is kind of hit and miss. This is a Frank Tashlin title, and we love Frank Tashlin because Frank Tashlin was just so incredibly funny. Came out of animation and, and went on to do a lot of great Jerry Lewis movies, among others. And uh, this is called The Lieutenant Wore Skirts, not just wore a skirt. The lieutenant wore skirts. So it's not a cross-dressing movie. It's basically about a woman who is, in fact, a, uh, a lieutenant, a former lieutenant, and she's afraid that her husband is going to be uh, inducted back into the service, so she re-enlists, but then he, when he doesn't get in, she winds up um, being assigned to Hawaii, and he has to follow her, and it just, it's, it's a lot of fun. 
Um, great cast here. Uh, Rita Moreno, Rick Jason, who I've always enjoyed, Lisa Tremaine, Les Tremaine, Alice Reinhardt. Um, it's, it, this is really fun. And, of course, the two leads, Tom Yule and Sherry North. Sherry North, not really on anybody's radar anymore, uh, was, was really wonderful at the time. And uh, so was Tom Yule. So, uh, you know, they've kind of vanished, and they've not, they're not really names anymore, and, uh, you know, as a result, the movie kind of fell off the radar, but uh, it's worth rediscovering, just because Frank Tashlin is just, he has such a light touch, it's a wonderful light touch, and uh, that's really a nice surprise. And then from the great people at the Warner Archive Collection, who we continue to be just enthralled by, uh, we have once again, Mark, Russ Tamblin. What? Russ Hamblin in another one of his, uh, his very, very memorable parts. Uh, this is a super young Russ Hamblin, by the way. I mean, shockingly young. And um, this is from an Allied artist's film called The Young Guns. Uh, young Guns, we always associate with the more recent films, you know, uh, Emilio Estevez and all the rest of them in The Young Guns. But this is, this is the original Young Guns. And uh, Tamblin is not really campy here. I, I kind of enjoy this. Uh, it's nice to see where he came from. This is uh, this is you know the uh, this is one of those seminal youth films that sort of helped start the the ball rolling on that whole youth movement of the fifties. And uh, the most interesting thing here is it's directed by Albert Band, who of course you know Albert Band went on to become this you know independent fixture this name associated with the uh, B movies and exploitation films and you know independent films and then uh here we also have oh look who stars in this movie mark who who's the star of this movie Russ Tamblin It's a Russ Tamblin day wow This is uh this is less interesting I think this is a son of a gunfighter and the the pun of the title uh, I almost think is it, it, I enjoy the pun of the title oh son of a gunfighter uh, fairly routine uh, western here. Uh, again, this is primarily for Russ Hamblin fans. Um, I, I think Young Guns is a better movie, but uh, you know, if you're a Russ Hamblin fan, you'll enjoy this. Fernando Ray is fun uh, to watch in this as well. Um, moving quickly through these, let's see. Then we also have, before I get to the really important stuff, The Lusty Men, which is just great because it's you know who the Lusty Men are here. A Russ Hamblin. Well, Robert Robert Mitchum is always lusty. And Arthur Kennedy is always lusty. So Arthur Kennedy and Robert Mitchum are the lusty men. I mean, it's just great. And who are they lusting after? Russ Tamblin. <laughs> no. No, we're done with Russ Tamblin. Uh, they're lusting after Susan Hayward, who's just great. And I love Susan Hayward. Always love Susan Hayward. This is directed by Nicholas Ray, who, of course, did Rebel Without a Cause and many other fine films. And um, this is a rodeo story. And... Uh, you know, if you're going to be a lusty man, you might as well be a lusty man who wrestles cows and, and rides horses and does all that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, Susan Hayward is just fantastic in this. Uh, she is the she's married to um, uh, Arthur Kennedy, and uh, hey, Wade. It, yes, Russ Hamblin. Thank you. Very funny. And you know, it's just it's just it's a it's just a really good rodeo story. It's just uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy really good rodeo stuff. And then the, film I, the films I really want to talk about are the two versions of the Desert Song. Uh, there is the original Desert Song and then the new Desert Song, both of them in glorious Technicolor. Uh, the first one with uh, Dennis Morgan and Irene Manning, and then the somewhat more famous one, uh, the, uh, the new Desert Song, with uh, Catherine Grayson and Gordon McRae. Um, you know what? Both of these are, I think, really worth checking out. 
Um, the uh, Sigmund Romberg, Oscar Hammerstein, um, light musical, light opera, operetta, whatever you want to call it, from 1926, is really very little known today. Most people have completely forgotten about it. I used to listen to this score when I was growing up over and over and over because I had this compilation set of, of records, of LPs. No, of LPs when I was growing up that were all, you know, light operas and operettas and, and classic stuff because my parents were really, really into that and I fell in love with all these things. And this was one of my favorites. And I, I think the 1953 film, the, the later one, is, uh, is certainly one of the, be- is, is the better of the two, the more enjoyable. But I love them both. I, I, I watch them back to back and they're just great. They're really, really delightful. And I have another story about this too. One reason why I, I am particularly fond of this remake the producer of the 1953 film is one of my, uh, was one of my old professors, Rudy Fair. Rudy Fair, one of the great editors of all time. He was? He was. Rudy Fair did uh, Key Largo. Ooh. And he also edited Pritzi's Honor. Oh, really? That's the range of Rudy Fair. Rudy God, Fair. Rudy Fair. And, and Rudy Fair is a wonderful. I mean, he was, you know, it's just an old German guy, a little kind of roly old German guy. And he was just so, he, I learned so much from him as far as, as editing is concerned. I mean, really instructive. And Rudy ran a, a production, and, or post-production, I think it was, at Warner Brothers at a certain point. This is one of his uh, handful of credits as a producer. And it's a wonderful film. It's just absolutely fantastic. A uh, great musical, and uh, you know, certainly one that doesn't feel quite as realistic, given the um, given political situations in the world today. But never mind; it doesn't need to. Um, th- here's my other Rudy Fair story. Do you know how Marnie Nixon wound up being the singing voice of Audrey Hepburn in uh, My Fair Lady? Uh, I think there was a lot of lesbianism involved. Yeah, yeah exactly. The pictures, That's right. Possibly sure. Russ Hamlin. Yeah, of course. They- uh, no, it was because uh, they were all sitting around watching um, dub tests of different voices to see uh, who would match the best and who sounded the best. And at a, at a certain point, Jack Warner just threw his hands in the air and just said, Damn it, I don't know. I, I, you decide, Rudy. And he walked out of the room, and Rudy got to make the call. And Rudy uh, picked Marnie Nixon. Ooh, and history was made. History was made. And by the way, when Jack Warner threw his hands in the air, how could he catch his hands when he doesn't have hands? See? See, he throws them in the air, but he doesn't have you hands. You miss those. Can't catch it. You miss Because those there's details. the comedy right there. Do, do we not have a Vox Box, Wade? We do have a Vox Box. We'll do it, we'll do it. No, in a moment. Aww. We'll do it right in just, so a, sing, close. just a moment. So close. Lastly, we've got a couple uh, releases from Film Chest, uh, Fear in the Night, and uh, Quicksand. And uh, these are both uh, restored old uh, classics from Film Chest. The, you know, Film Chest finds this stuff that nobody ever else uh, seems to be able to find. I, I don't know what their process is. Both of these are very nicely restored. Uh, both are very, very short. Under 80 minutes, both of them. Uh, the, uh, the lesser of the two is probably Fear in the Night, which is kind of a sort of standard issue noir that is distinguished only because it has Dr. McCoy in it. <gasps> Well, not as, Kelly. not as Dr. McCoy. Just, it's just he shows up and you go, it's McCoy. Awesome. Which is the way I always feel about his westerns. You, see, you know, he did a handful of westerns. Sure. And every time I see one of those things and you're watching it, it just takes you right out of the movie. I know. It Poor just guy. rips you straight out of the movie. You just go, wait a minute, is this a Star Trek episode? And then the reason that you want to watch Quicksand is because, darn it all, Mickey Rooney is so much fun to watch because he's such a ham. 
And he's really good in this. This is not one of those few, uh, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a straight up, you know, really serious crime film. It's a, this is a noir as well. And he plays this, uh, this auto mechanic who um, goes on a date with a little bit of borrowed money from his boss. And then things just go completely haywire. It's, you know, very, as many noirs are, he's an average guy who's drawn into a whole series of crazy stuff. But um, darn it all, Mickey Rooney, he just, he's Mickey Rooney. He's the greatest star in the world. He was the greatest star uh, from 1939 to 1940, spanning two decades. (laughs) Okay. That was the Simpsons quote. All right. And now, Mark, you can do it. (gasps) Really? Do it. (gasps) Me, 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 me. It's your old pal, Lance Taylor. Uh, two questions for you today. 1492, Conquest of Paradise. The uh, early 90s Ridley Scott film. Where the hell is that movie? I mean, where is it on Blu-ray or DVD? I, I don't think it's ever been released on DVD in America. I've never seen it available. And certainly not the Blu-ray uh, is available. So what's the deal with that? Also, um, any word on Star Trek Deep Space Nine heading to Blu-ray? I've checked online, and I really can't find anything indicating uh, when that might be. If it'll be, I hope it will be, by the way. And also uh, Star Trek Voyager, uh, ditto for that. Um, Yeah, so what do you have for me, guys? Uh, And remember, uh, for your... For all of your uh, tailoring and lancing needs, uh, well, uh, yeah. Okay. Yes, all your lancing and tailoring needs. Where did where did my microphone go? Oh, there it is. There's my microphone. This is how professional we are. So, uh, so yes. So Lance, uh, it, oddly enough, Lance asks about all Paramount titles, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, as far as the uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager stuff, that will eventually come out on Blu-ray. Uh, Paramount has no answers for any of that stuff. There's obviously a timetable. They obviously know that they think certain titles have more juice on Blu-ray or whatever than others. And so I guess once we get all of the... Uh, um, because they're they're now basically doing the, the what was the first uh, the the thing with the the, the 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 other the other Star Trek series the last one that they did. Uh, you, uh, oh, you mean the one with the Scott Bakula? Yeah, what was that? What the, the, it was the, uh, Star Trek. Whatever that thing. The, the first ship that goes exactly. Well, anyway, we're we're doing Next Generation slowly but surely, and then the Scott Bakula thing we're we're doing, and then I guess the other stuff. Enterprise. 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 Yeah. Enterprise. There is, you know. I was, first contact kept coming to my head. Oh, I knew that buddy. wasn't right. So anyway, uh, I, I guess they have their own timetable. 1492 is the most interesting uh, omission there is. And here's the thing with 1492. Nobody really has a straight-up answer on that, uh, other than the fact that the film really tanked. And nobody really wants to do much uh, with it. Yeah, but look it. at like Kingdom of Heaven. I mean, they went nuts on that 75 times on Blu-ray and DVD. Well, 1492 didn't really... It was an under, a huge underperformer. And it was... As we all know with Paramount, they really don't care about their library. They really don't. Once something is six months old, they like turn it over to Warner Brothers and, and say, here, you exploit it. Uh, there's really no interest over there in anything other than Transformers and who knows whatever else. 
and um, 1492 just is not on their radar. I don't. I don't. I think that is. I think that's something that may wind up being uh, a Warner Brothers handled thing because Warner Brothers is doing a lot of the work on the Paramount library titles that Paramount just refuses to do. So I would suspect that the people at Warner Brothers are like they're not doing anything with this. Let's let's run with it. So you have to wait for the Warner Brothers people to help the Paramount people out because the culture at Paramount is anti-library these days, and that's even a film that's not that old. It, you know, it's from the '90s. It's uh, I, I just think it's off their radar, uh, and and that's the same reason it's not on on DVD. It really is a, a tremendous omission. I did the press junket for that thing. I remember it really, really well. I remember sitting around and and uh, telling some very funny jokes with Depardieu in French that that nobody other than the screenwriter understood because she's also French, and uh, that was a it was a really fun press junket. Well, that, that was, was a really um, fun junket and a good film too. Not the greatest film, you know, but but a good film. Well, if you remember, there was another Columbus film that came out. Around yes, the same time, yes, the, 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 that was the Brando thing. The, well, no, it wasn't. No, it was the, the, um, the uh, 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 right, right. Hang uh, on, don't stop the recording. No, it's it's a, the Dino De Laurentiis produced thing. Yes, which was which was uh, what was it called? It had George Corifus playing. Um, yes, playing um, um, Columbus. Uh, hang on, I can't we're, remember we're the title there. of it. Don't stop the recording. Start 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 talking. It was probably just Christopher Columbus. It could have been. Oh, whatever it was. Anyway, that was that was dreadful. Fourteen ninety two was the better film. But but uh, Depardieu speaking English kind of sabotaged it a little bit, I think. Anyway, I'm just trying to find the. Uh... It, it just it's just it, it, it but it really is. It's like a, people ask that all the time, and it's interesting. We have a new thread on uh, on um, uh, the Facebook page about you know movies that are on. What, what are your favorite movies that you wish come out on Blu-ray soon? What's the what are the best films that are not yet out on Blu-ray? And I think it's time we might do a Why the hell isn't it on Blu-ray? Remember our, our old poll? Why the hell isn't it on DVD? Might be time to do Ooh, that. Ooh, we haven't done that in years. I haven't done that in years. And, and really, it's true. 1492 is right up there. I mean, that is just a glaring omission. And I love the music. I'm a huge Vangelis nut. You know, I, I, love, uh, I love the score. I think it's a great score. I mean, it's, you know, it's the, it was the first time that Ridley Scott went back to Vangelis for a score since Blade Runner. There are all kinds of reasons to... Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. Yes, that was it. John Gosh, Glenn. That was dreadful. Anyway. Oh, it did have Marlon Brando. I was right. Well, Brando's in it, but he doesn't play Columbus. No. Yeah. Anyway. Directed by John Glenn, who directed a couple of James Bond films. It was Brando. Oh, that's right. Brando played um, Torquemada, the one yeah, who sort right. of sends him on his way. Yeah. And then uh, Tom Selleck was in it for some reason, playing King Ferdinand. And right, George Coroface played... Uh, yeah. Who was supposed to be... Chris the, Baby. He, you know, his career just got burned. Coroface, Coraface, however you pronounce it. He was supposed to be the it star... It can't be Coraface. There's no way. Well, he's he's Greek. He was oh, supposed he's Greek. To, he's so Greek. So he was he was supposed to be the star of Nostromo, David Lean's final film. Really? And then David Lean died. And I told you, I saw the production boards for that thing when I toured the offices in Paris, when they were on the verge of greenlighting it. And man, that was that was one going to be one hell of a film. It's he just, still works. Oh, I know he still works. He still works back in his native. But he uh, could have been. He could have been the next. You know, he could have been the next David Lean star. He could have been the next Peter O'Toole, the next Omar Sharif. He would have. You know, he would have had that cachet, and it just didn't ha happen. Ha. Anyway, Turns out he's a loser like the rest yeah, of us. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. So uh, great. Thank you, Lance. All, all our tailoring and Lancing needs. Thanks, Lance. Great, uh, great Vox Box question. Really a good one. And uh, no, stop. We did it already. So let's uh, let's wrap things out now with. Uh, well, let's. Gosh, we got so much to, to get. You know what? I'm going to do some. Uh, may I do some British television? Oh, uh, th- uh, yes. Do you want to take I'm, a nap? I'm, I'm going to say yes to that because you finally 
save that crap to the end of the show. <laughs> where it belongs, not the beginning <laughs> of the show, where everybody gets turned off. Yes. So, you know what? There's a wonderful series that was originally aired on BBC. I've got three seasons of it right here, or three series of it, as they say in the UK. This is from BFS. And it is The Indian Doctor. Uh, this, is, this is really a terrific show. Uh, it, it, this is from the mid-90s. And uh, it's, it takes place in the 1960s when um, a lot of Indian doctors um, were part of this, um, this kind of emigration when they, were, they came to the U.K., because they needed doctors, and the uh, health minister in the UK kind of put the call out, and so these Indians, all a lot of these Indian doctors, they go to try to find themselves work in, in the UK. And that's basically what this is. He winds up in this coal mining town in Wales, and uh, it's a little bit of a fish out of water, it, but it's, it's lovely, and uh, it's really well acted. Uh, Sanjeev Baskar and Ayesha Darkar star in it as, uh, as the doctor and his wife, and it's, uh, it is not like Green Acres. It is not like... Uh, Green Eggs and Ham. It is not like Northern Exposure, even though there's a little bit of a similarity to Northern Exposure. I mean, the plot is Northern Exposure-ish. But it's a, it's a lovely show. It's really fun. It's really well written. Some great acting. A lot of people who've become you know, significant actors in, in British television and, and films now start here. And it's, it's totally cool. Check it out. It's The British Doctor, or The Indian Doctor from, uh, on BBC. And then uh, we have Breathless, which is a, the, a, uh, a, a, kind of the UK attempt at doing a Mad Men type thing. It's like Mad Men meets Grey's Anatomy. It takes place in 1961 in a, in a, in a hospital, continuing our British uh, 1960s medical theme. And uh, the issue here is not so charming. Uh, this, is, uh, this is really um, kind of pushing a lot of uh, socio-political buttons. The, at the time, abortion was illegal, and uh, it was really the only... The pill had not become yet common use, so the, you know, you, you've got this uh, OBGYN unit that um, is dealing with, obviously, a lot of, of things in the society and the political undercurrents that have, uh, that have huge ramifications. And uh, obviously, you get a lot of the usual stuff that you get in television. There's a lot of you know dishonesty and deception, and people having affairs and whatnot. And uh, Jack Davenport, who was uh, previously in Coupling, and has aged very well, is really good here, much better than he was in Coupling. This is like I want to see him start doing features. And uh, he, of course, is the uh, you know the head uh, OBGYN surgeon here, and uh, you know Natasha Little plays his wife. And uh, Ian Glenn does a really good job here as well, who shows up in all kinds of great British movies and television shows all the time. So definitely check this out. This is uh, a beautiful Blu-ray from, uh, from uh, PBS, Breathless. Definitely check that out. And then real quickly, uh, just getting through this, we've got uh, season two of Scott and Bailey, which is uh, that really fun kind of Cagney and Lacey type uh, British uh, procedural. That is, continues to be really fun to watch. DCI Banks, based on the Inspector Banks novels. Uh, this is season two of that. That continues to be a really, really solid show. Incredibly well written. Uh, season one of Father Brown, another one of these mystery-solving clerics. There are a lot of those uh, in, in, you know, Father Dowling Mysteries is sort of the American oh, version of that. Well, that was good. No. And, you know, Cadfail, the medieval monk who solves crimes. You, you, there's a lot of <laughs> the these. medieval monk who solves crimes? Yeah. That just Cad sounds horrible. It was Derek Jacobi. You, you saw that, didn't you, Cadfail? It's no, fantastic. No, I didn't want to see that. Because there's like no, there's no, you know, CSI stuff going on. There's no forensics. He's got to be, like, smart because it's medieval. Oh, stop. Anyway, Father Brown, season one. 
this is based on the books of uh, G.K. Chesterton. So that's another fine British procedural. That's really fun. And uh, Republic of Doyle, season two, uh, which is another really, really good procedural. Continues to be uh, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, let's see. Uh, here we go. Now we get into the real stuff. Uh, the Saint, set one. This is not uh, the, the uh, Roger Moore the Saint, obviously, nor is it the, uh, the one from the 70s that followed it. Uh, this is three feature-length movies on three discs uh, starring Simon Dutton, who I never realized ever played Simon Templar. I had no idea that Simon Dutton was one of the, the long line of people playing Simon Templar. Uh, way better, obviously, than the horrible, horrible movie that starred uh, that guy who played uh, Batman and, uh, and The Doors. What's his name? Jim Morrison. Val Kilmer. That guy. Yeah, let's, let's, not, let's not speak his name. No, this is from the late 80s. And uh, honestly, why did they... Why, if I could just detour for a second, why did Val Kilmer even... He's not British. It's the worst movie ever. The, the, but the, the, the fact that an actor is not the same nationality as the character he's playing is not unique. God, no, it's a British character. It would be like if, it would be like if, if, if no, that's freaking not Brad true. Pitt played James Bond. Well, why not? No. <laughs> it's wrong. Not wrong. Freaking you know what? Wrong. Alfred Molina played Tevye. Look. Okay, look, I can handle that. Okay, it's fine. Look, it would be, it would be like if they went and got like a, like a British actor to play Abraham Lincoln. That's fine. Or, they or, don't, exactly. Or, or, imagine or, that happening. Or if they got like a, like a British actor to play Superman. Wow. Or, 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 or Batman. That would or, never or, or Spider-Man. Years, or Spider-Man. Never happened? Never happened? Happen. Happen. Just as wrong. It would be horrible. When would that ever happen? In what world do you live in when that would ever happen? Okay. See, you just proved yourself wrong. I know, whatever. So anyway, to hell with Val Kilmer. I saw Val Kilmer play Moses. I, I know. You know that what? Go, the, go ahead and say what happened. It was the last show, it's right? It's just hysterical. I, I can't get over it. He's like winking and waving at his friends in the audience. He knew it was a train wreck. It was all over. Didn't have to actually play it serious anymore. It was done. Hey, who loves you? He didn't do that. He did pretty close. He did, he did this. Hey. He's like, you're like, you know, shooting the old... Awesome. The old Babe Ruth... Pointing thing, calling, uh, calling the shot, calling the shot. Anyway, back. Enough of that. Okay, so he whose name will not be spoken will not be spoken anymore. Simon Dutton, really good actor. Never realized that he played uh, Simon Templar because this was completely off my radar. So thanks to the people at uh, at Acorn, we now get the uh, first set of this late '80s uh, incarnation of the Saint, and it's really good. It might be the best version of it that I've seen uh, since, obviously, Roger Moore. And um, it's it's well written, and it's got a lot of great guest stars, and he, you know it's it's it, it's good. So uh, you can check that out. And then uh, Doctor Who Deep Breath, as we now enter the Peter Capaldi era of Doctor Who, and um, it's good. Capaldi's good, man. Have you have you have you have you? Been I, I I love him. He's great. He's really good. It's like he's he's reinvigorated. He's he's made Doctor Who Doctor Who again. Like it was this cavalcade of guys. Sorry, Wade. It's it's been this like thirty forty year cavalcade of guys who are younger and cooler and hipper. And suddenly, he's he's just badass. He's like a serious Doctor Who again. That's right. It's cool. Yep, he's great. It's back to the roots. So uh, check it out. That's on Blu-ray from BBC. Um, and really well written and totally solid. And Peter Capaldi just is. He brings gravitas, man. The guy is a heavyweight. He's just a great actor. He's just a great actor. And, and that's going to propel him to bigger things. You, you watch. When his run as Doctor Who is over in four or five years, however long he does it, you watch. He's going to start doing some big Hollywood stuff. He's going to win an Oscar. Like, uh, Peter uh, Capaldi, you heard it here. 
Benedict Cumberbatch. He was Doctor Who. He was, and he and he, and he was sure, and and he's still Sherlock. And now look at him; he's disappeared. I'm going to tell you, he he stands a very good chance of, of winning an Oscar for Best Actor for this Imitation year. Game? Mm-hmm. He stands wow. a very good chance. That thing is is ripping it up. That that came out of Toronto just with, with guns a blazing. People loved it. Guns a blazing. And uh, then we also get The Great Train Robbery with uh, Jim Broadbent and Luke Evans, a two-disc British television production from Screen Yorkshire uh, 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 that's really, really solid. This is... um this is not about the great train robbery that the American. That's not the Edwin Porter 1902. No, it, or, or the or robbery. the Sean Connery thing that we talked right. about a couple of weeks ago. The the Michael Crichton directed. You know the the, the that incident. Um, this is uh, this takes place in 1963 when the uh, Royal Mail train that runs from Glasgow to London got hijacked and millions of dollars were or millions of pounds were uh, were take, were swiped. This is that event. And uh, it's really well written. Jim Broadbent is terrific. Uh, it's re- the production value is fantastic. Uh, it's just really, really good. So that's, uh, that's worth checking out. Jim Broadbent can just do no wrong. And then lastly, a Three Pines Mystery, Still Life. Uh, Louise Penny, somebody who wrote novels that I should know about. I don't really. Apparently she wrote a bestseller. That's what this is based on. And uh, it's, it's, it's a good mystery. I wouldn't call it a great mystery. Um, but it, you know, it all kind of... It's it's a little Twin Peaksy. It's all centered around the town of Three Pines, and you know it's got a it's got a it's got a nice little style to it. So uh, if you're a mystery fan, that's one uh, that's worth checking out, I suppose. So uh, Mark, shall we get into some television? Yes, we should. Wait, the Wolverine right. Collection. Can't say I watched all five of these. Uh, I did skim all of them, but uh, and they're all varying degrees of uh, quality and, and badassery. We have uh, five movies here: Ultimate Wolverine versus uh, the Hulk, Wolverine Origin. Wolverine X Weapon, Wolverine versus Sabretooth, Wolverine versus Sabretooth Reborn, and um, you know I have to say that I do like the fact that um, these movies are pretty intense. It's pretty violent, pretty intense. It's not like candy cartoon time that you get with some of the other like Spider-Man type um, uh, comic. You know, you know the thing with comic books nowadays that I I, I don't read comic books anymore, but I, I do like sometimes I'll look and see. The artwork now in comic books is very, like, childish. Yeah. They're not, like, adult, badass. No. no. I want adult. I don't want, like, poppy comic books. You know, I want yeah. Spider-Man to be badass. I agree with you. You know, I want Wolverine to be badass all the I'm time. I'm down with you. So that's why I do kind of appreciate these movies. So if you're into the Wolverine, uh, check out the Wolverine collection um, from the good folks at uh, Shot Factory. Uh, they're good. Bonus interviews with... Um, a bunch of guys who work at Marvel and who are involved in the making of these movies. So uh, check it out. And then uh, we have a bunch of stuff from Timeless. Timeless has a lot of great uh, classic TV and primarily Western titles. And we have another super Western title coming up that we'll uh, get to in just a moment. But the uh, six seasons of A Haunting. I was like, A Haunting? I don't... Why did I... I mean, how is it... I'm a TV nerd. This should have been on my radar at some point. Never heard of this show. Never heard of this. You ever heard of this series, A Haunting? I have not. I haven't either. I mean, totally, completely off my radar. 53 episodes. Uh, Timeless went and dug this thing up. And um, you know what? It, it's, it's not bad. It's, uh, it's one of these... Um, it, it's, it's, it's a documentary series, a little bit like In Search Of. Does that, you know, remember In Search Of? And you, you basically I can sing the song if you like. Do it. 
Thank you. Okay, enough. That's all I need to know. Okay, I was just testing. Fine. Uh, yeah, that was... Well, anyway, it's... That was the song. So basically, it's this is like an anthology documentary series about hauntings, and you get pretty decent reenactments on most of these and uh, I, you know a lot of it you go bogus and some of it you go that's really interesting I think I'd like to learn more about that anyway uh, it's, 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 it's pretty sharp if you're into that kind of stuff this was a bit of a bigger deal in the 80s and 90s these kinds of TV shows but um, anyway A Haunting the television series six seasons 53 episodes it's not, not bad and then also from Timeless we have NBC Western TV Legends uh, the Virginian, Wagon Train, Laredo, and uh, Laramie, the, uh, the premiere episodes of all four of them, which is meant to kind of bolster your interest in the series so that you, when they come out with complete seasons, you will want to buy all the complete seasons. So this is a little bit of a, little bit of a tease, uh, but I, you know what? All, all four of these are really decent shows, and uh, I, you know, the wa- Wagon Train obviously is the, the more important one because it directly inspired Star Trek. And then uh, Once Upon a Starry Night is a Grizzly Adams adventure. Uh, it's, you know, it's Dan Haggerty is Grizzly Adams. Whatever happened to Dan Haggerty, by the way? Do we know? Dan Haggerty? Yeah. Oh, he, uh, did he I'm die? Say, I think he died. I'll, you know, I'll look that up right now. Yeah, find out. I'm just curious. Anyway, you know what? It's nope, just, still around. He's 72 years old. Well, good for him. Maybe he can do another uh, Grizzly Adams TV movie. I don't know. Anyway. That's all he ever did. I know. It's all I, that's all I ever heard of him doing. But anyway, this is from the late 70s, and, you know, it's, it's sweet. He, he helps a little boy and girl, and, and it, he's, just, he's Grizzly Adams. What can I tell you? He was an easy rider. Was he really? He was. I didn't realize that. We also have the Gene Autry collection, uh, number seven, uh, which on two DVDs, which is four Gene Autry movies that uh, are all kind of the same. But if the whole singing cowboy thing kind of floats your boat, and if you you love the the, the uh, if you like the world that these guys inhabit, which is a little bit. Uh, not even remotely realistic. Uh, fine, and then an interesting series, uh, State Trooper, um, is is interesting. I remember I, this. This kind of predates me, and I, I remember hearing about it. Never really saw it. And uh, this is 104 episodes, which is a long show for that time. That is based on actual cases, kind of like Adam Twelve was based on actual or allegedly actual LAPD cases. This is actually from the Nevada State Police. So they went and, you know, and Dragnet was another one of those. That was the thing at the time, right? Let's go and find actual real cases and base it on it. Anyway, so uh, you got a, you know, a lot of crap going on for 104 episodes uh, in Nevada, a place that's otherwise barren. A lot of, a lot of junk going on there. But uh, Rod Cameron plays the, uh, the, the, the main officer here, the Nevada you know, uh, state trooper who has to go and fight crime in the, uh, in the Silver State. Um, uh, Dan Haggerty also shows up in this. And uh, it, a lot of great, great guest stars, actually. I mean, Lee Van Cleef is in this, and Claude Aikens. Uh, DeForest Kelly shows up again and takes you completely out of it, and you go, it's Dr. McCoy in Nevada. I thought he was in space. And Michael Landon and, uh, you know, uh, Richard Farnsworth, all the people who, you, who have, you know, kind of a Western pedigree from doing all those Western movies. And uh, then lastly here, Mark, uh, as long as we're on the Western thing, Daniel Boone, The Complete Series, 36 discs, six seasons, finally out from 20th, and uh, this has been out before, but it was out in these little seasonal increments, 
from a, another distributor who will not be named, and the transfers were not quite as uh, spectacular as they should have been. I grew up with this series. I loved this series. Fess Parker was the man, and uh, this finally looks the way that it needs to look. This is absolutely fantastic. This is a beautiful, beautiful, big old fat box set, 36 discs, and uh, every single episode of Daniel Boone, one of the great TV Western series of all time. And I'm not going to sing the theme. I know you just sang the theme for In Search Of. I'm not going to sing the theme for Daniel Boone. But I will tell you this. Daniel Boone was a man. Yes, a big man. And he killed him in a bar when he was only three. <laughs> that show sucked. You didn't get the joke there. I'm, I'm, no. No. I'm mixing up Fess Parker songs. Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone. I, you know what? I, I will pay $500 million to the first person who listens to our show who... Who, who knew what I was talking about? Fess Parker, Daniel Boone. No uh, idea. Fess Parker played Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. Oh, my God. He and was so a man of a... I fused the two songs. The Daniel Boone like theme J. J. song. J.J. Abrams directs Davey, Star Trek Davey and Star Crockett, Wars. Davy Crockett, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone. Never mind. See, like J.J. Abrams does Star Trek and Star Wars. See, that brings it back to us, what we care about. Okay, not fine. Not Fess Parker. Whatever. Um, okay. Uh, uh, wait, uh, there's a show called Cat Dog. This yeah. is about uh, Good this grief. is about a, this weird, disgusting, grotesque. <laughs> it's the worst creature. It's actually in a in a in, in in another world. This reminds me of that. Remember? Do you remember that scene in The Fly where the fly gets vaguely in, where the fly gets into the c- contraption? With like another animal, yeah, and then it comes out as yeah. like this disgusting, grotesque yeah. thing, and Jeff Goldblum has to shoot it, yeah. or whatever. That's what this is. This is the cartoon version of that. Ugh. It's about a um, this animal who is half cat, half dog, and uh, this is the complete series, seventy-eight, sixty-eight episodes on uh, DVD. It's made for kids. It's got some jokes in there for the adults, at least from what I saw. Uh, but I have to say, there's so many other animated shows there. By the way, you realize last Saturday, mm, yeah, a week from yeah, a week from whenever we're shooting this yep. taping, this a week from yesterday, whatever it is, was the first Saturday in 30 years where there were no animated Saturday morning cartoons on. The I Netflix. know. I read that and I wanted to cry. Isn't that crazy? Ah, oh, it's the worst. I think I think it'll come around again just for just for mercenary purposes. They'll find some show that'll be worth it on a Saturday no, morning. It's but the worst. But uh, yeah, you know why? Because viewers get their animated fix from a thousand other uh, thousand other outlets. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Okay, uh, you know what? We have a little bit of time left, uh, so I am going to do a giant plug for myself. You you gonna plug yourself? I'm gonna plug myself. You know why? Because I got an audio commentary on a DVD on a Blu-ray this week. Andy and I did the commentary for Nightcap, otherwise known as Merci pour le chocolat, another Claude Chabrol thriller from Cohen. Wait, wait, we, I, wait I, we, we actually have a, have a clip from that. Let's roll that no, clip No, we don't, right actually. I wish My name's Wade Major, and I like movies, and this movie has people in it, and people are nice. Hi. So, this... Wow, wait, the, did you really say that? I can't believe I you sure so did. Yes, I absolutely did. So, anyway, uh, the commentary is really amazing. Did I mention how amazing the commentary is? No, this is this is a really fun film to do. Uh, Cohen's uh, Blu-ray of Nightcap, the Claude Chabrol uh, thriller, otherwise known as Merci pour le chocolat. And uh, this is one of the best roles you will ever see Isabelle Huppert in. The uh, Jacques Dutronc plays a, um, uh, a concert pianist, uh, a, but a, a fairly sickly concert pianist, 
who uh, has remarried with uh, to Isabelle Huppert. I won't give you all the details on the actual... No, please wait. Give us all the details. Well, I, I, I won't give you all the details on how that, that the relationship and... What, anyway, she's, she's a chocolate heiress. And uh, that means that you, you, she's a crazy chocolate heiress. And you should be very careful if she wants to serve you hot chocolate because you don't know what's in it. <gasps> and it's truly one of Claude Chabrol's most Hitchcockian uh, thrillers. It's a lot of fun. It's really well written. The, the acting is great. Dutronc is fantastic. Isabelle Huppert is just the, the, the most lethal, cold-blooded, psychotic femme fatale you will ever see. She's so good at it. She's brilliant. Um, you absolutely want to check it out. And we had, a great, we had a blast with that commentary. It's a lot of fun to talk about. A couple other uh, Cohen releases this week that are really worth checking out. The 30th anniversary edition of uh, Favorites of the Moon by Otar Ayoseliani, uh, which won the, uh, grand, the uh, I think it was a special jury prize or a grand jury prize, either one of the two, at the uh, Venice Film Festival 30 years ago. It is a terrific comedy from 1984 and uh, definitely worth watching, uh, if, especially if you like uh, Ayoseliani films. It's just... It's, it's beautiful. And then my pick of the week, actually, even more than the one with our commentary, more than uh, Nightcap, is Queen Margot, the 20th anniversary director's cut. I'm uh, terribly, terribly sad that Patrice Chereau has passed away, the director, and, and no longer able to do you know, uh, commentary work and whatnot. But uh, this is just brilliant. The film was released in a, in a hacked version, a chopped-up version by the Weinsteins when it was released in the U.S., um, 20 years ago I fortunately saw the original cut Because I was at Cannes that year And uh, the, the one that just wowed everybody And it's just a, it's a fantastic story um, Vincent Perez, Daniel Otoy And the wonderful Isabel Ajani As Queen Margot And probably like her last really great performance The whole thing takes place in the late 16th century uh, it is a, it is a, it, It's a famous story And you know, it's all about It, it sort of is about the The Queen Margot, who is caught in this marriage of convenience to uh, a Huguenot, a Protestant Huguenot played by Daniel Auteuil, and Vincent Perez plays her lover. The, the, the warring between Catholics and Protestants, the, the famous, I think it's St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, uh, where Catholics went and slaughtered Protestants all over, all over Paris. All of that is depicted in this amazing, amazing uh, drama. It is a wonderful, wonderful film. And um, that's it. So we're running out of time. But the 20th anniversary director's cut on Blu-ray, has, this film has never looked better. And it is so much better than the truncated version that was released uh, theatrically here. Uh, let me see if there's anything uh, we can kind of wrap out with. That's, we're right around the end of the show. Mark, a couple of final documentary things. Yes, uh, ma'am. PBS. We've got some good stuff from PBS real PB quickly. PBJ? Vaccines. Calling the shots. Uh, we got we got Ebola on, on the shores now. Finally, there's no vaccine for Ebola, but there are vaccines for other things. Get vaccinated, people. Enough with all of this. Like, oh, I don't want to get vaccinated because it's the 21st century, and that's just so 20th century. I got my flu vaccine. Freaking get vaccinated. I got my flu shot. Don't be crazy. Have a vaccine. Don't jeopardize your your fellow man with like you know diseases that you're going to acquire because you have some weird new age idea about vaccinations. Forget it. Uh, 40th anniversary of Watergate. We have Dick Cavett's Watergate. Did you remember? Did you know that Dick Cavett uh, covered Watergate on the Dick Cavett show? Well, I, I know he discussed it because he discussed everything. He's a, he's he a sure smart did. man. Well, this but is, I didn't know he was specifically involved with well, Watergate. This gets. This is a. Uh, this is from WNET, and it's a. It's an hour long compilation of Dick Cavett's. Uh, uh, basically, looking at Watergate through Dick Cavett's eyes. Gosh, I miss Dick Cavett. He, he's one of our true. 
polymaths. And then the other thing in the news lately is uh, is ISIS, not the Saturday morning TV show from my childhood, but those crazies who keep beheading people. Uh, Losing Iraq is a frontline documentary about everything that went wrong. It will make you ask more questions than anything else, but it's worth watching. And with that, we're done. We're done? Raggy?